What if you could simply trust all information on the internet? My name is Sebastian and I'm on a mission to build a trusted web for all of us on planet Earth. An internet where my parents, possibly my future kids and my own generation can find truth and feel safe. Because to save the world, we need to fix the internet. In the Trusted Web podcast, I embark on a journey with you, my listener, and thought leaders to explore what needs to get done. With this special thing called blockchain timestamps, all content you consume will be transparent and accountable. Welcome to the new default on the internet. Thank you for being part of this journey and let's build the Trusted Web together. In this episode, I'm joined by Alan Miller. Alan and I share a passion for a more truthful internet, and we both choose the route of building a whole category as an important way of achieving it. In Alan's case, news literacy. Alan is the founder and CEO of the News Literacy Project. He established uh, this educational nonprofit and helped launch the category of news literacy already in 2008. He did this following his three-decade journalism career. Alan, as a journalist, you received the 2003 Pulitzer Prize, among a dozen other uh, national and state reporting honors. And the News Literacy Project provides educators with resources and tools to teach teenagers how to discern fact from fiction in the digital age. More than 19,000 educators in all 50 states and 108 uh, countries have registered to use the virtual classroom that NLP provides. Alan, firstly, thank you for all you do in educating this world on news literacy. And secondly, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sebastian. It's great to be with you. What is the state of fake news today? And what is fake news costing society? Can you elaborate on that? Well, so let's start with the term fake news, which is actually a term that we, we don't tend to like to use. You know, it was originally actually goes back to the 19th century, but more recently it was coined to mean false or fabricated content intended to look like actual news and really meant to deceive or mislead. Unfortunately, the term really, uh, particularly starting with the, in the Trump administration, has been weaponized and politicized to mean essentially anything anybody wants it to mean, mean but particularly um, news that, that someone, whether it's a, a public official or an individual, doesn't like and, and wants to dismiss. So we prefer to use you know, false content or fabricated content or really misinformation, uh, which is so prevalent now. Um, unfortunately, uh, you know, we live in a time when we have more good and credible information available to us, um, you know, quite literally, you know, at our fingertips than any other time in history. But it is being overwhelmed by exponentially more content that is intended to exploit us, to mislead us and to divide us. And that's why we feel that it's really essential that we, we find a way to get back to agreed upon verifiable facts uh, as a basis for us to talk about everything from education to science uh, to, to uh, our public life uh, and use that then as a jumping off point to debate and discuss solutions to the serious problems facing society today. And what would you say is a bigger problem? There's 
uh, intentional misinformation or and but in many cases it's it's not always intentional can you uh, what what can you say in that so there's really two major categories so there there's misinformation uh, which is um, a content that is 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 misleading or not accurate but may not have been created deliberately to do so or that or that those who are consuming it realize that and then there's disinformation which is really, you know, content that is is created knowingly to to mislead, and and we see that obviously, you know, uh, with with the Russian campaign, you know, in 2016, and what the Russians have done, you know, since then. Uh, but far others are engaged in in that in that effort, including, uh, unfortunately, you know, uh, President Trump, as we've seen here in the election, we've seen it during the course of the, the pandemic, uh, the anti-vaccine effort, uh, the rise of QAnon. Um, so that it's it's quite rampant. I think the key is on the on the supply side uh, is that very often people are not aware of what it is that they are um, consuming and most important what they are sharing, and that they have to you know we have to create a new uh, awareness and mindfulness among individuals that they look at whatever they encounter, wherever and however they encounter it, and ask themselves, you know, is this credible? Um, is it responsible for me to share it? And how can I be part of an information solution instead of the misinformation problem? Before I ask you um, about the work you do, what I really love is that you you really created a category. You not only build an initiative and a nonprofit, but you really choose to go uh, the path of creating news literacy. Can you explain what that is? Sure. So as you mentioned, after a, a three-decade career as a journalist in, in the U.S., primarily working for the Los Angeles Times, you know, I, I started the News Literacy Project in 2008 uh, and helped found the field. And we define news literacy as the ability to discern and create uh, credible information and to have the, the tools to be an informed and engaged participant in democracy. Uh, we also give people an understanding, appreciation of all of the First Amendment and a free press. And really what we want, the, the key thing we want people to be able to do is, is to look at any piece of content and ask themselves, is this something I should trust? Is it something that I should share? Is it something that I should act on? Uh, and have that, that critical thinking skill to discern, you know, uh, who created this, you know, for what purpose? Is it intended to inform, or rather, to inflame and and exploit uh, and persuade? Uh, what are the sources? You know, is there bias? Uh, what's the bias that I'm bringing to what I'm looking at? Uh, and and to be, you know, a mindful and responsible uh, participant in in civic life through the information that people people are sharing and acting on. What we fight for at the Trusted Web is true open source technology, making sure that all information is transparent. So how did it change over time? And secondly, accountable. Uh, is it really that human? Is it really that person uh, or organization where that information is coming from? Until that's in place, how, would you, how do you educate someone what is real or what is not real? What's the advice you have for parents watching this? So, um, and by the way, you mentioned we did start and we still are primarily focused on, on middle school and high school, but we, we are also now creating resources for the general public as well. 
because this the misinformation challenge spans all generations. Um, well, you know, there are some basic things that, I, that people can do. I think the, the first thing is to sort of check your emotions. Because when we see something that really inflames our emotions, whether it makes us, you know, angry or anxious or even joyful, um, we tend to let down our guard uh, in terms of our skepticism about what we're seeing and, and kind of the thinking part of the brain shuts down. So when you see something that, that uh, really gets you riled up, that's a particular moment to step back, especially in the midst of a big breaking story when people are, are really looking for information and journalists are scrambling to verify things or scientists in the case of the pandemic are looking to, to, to determine you know, uh, facts. Uh, that's a time particularly to be, be cautious. Um, and then there's some basic things that you can, you can ask yourself. You know, when you're looking at something, can you tell who created it? Can you do some simple you know, searches, Google searches, to do some, some reading about it? Uh, or reverse image search you know, on an image to see if it's what it purports to be. Um, ask yourself, is this something that's intending to inform me in a dispassionate, accurate, contextual way? Or is it trying to persuade me you know, or get me to take action? Um, you know, what is the sourcing? Can you tell who created it, you know, where it came from? Uh, is it a credible source, a reputable source? Um, what are people saying about it? What are comments? Can you find it elsewhere? If it's, if it's in one place, in one place alone, you should be really skeptical. If it sounds too good to be true or too incredibly true, it may well be. Um, and then sourcing, you know, are there multiple sources? Are there expert sources? Uh, are there different points of view? Uh, that's an important piece in terms of news, having, you know, various uh, uh, sides of a story. Um, is there bias? Is, this, is there inflammatory language or imagery? Uh, or again, is it trying to inform me in a dispassionate way to let me make up my own mind about what I'm seeing? And then we really need to check what is our own bias that we're bringing to this? Are we looking for just confirmation of our pre-existing beliefs or information? Are we actually looking for sources that may challenge our beliefs? And then it's very important to follow a story over time. Truth takes time. It takes time to emerge, it's, it's often provisional. Um, and to get multiple sources and a range of sources at what you're looking at. And then ultimately, you know, to make that decision, particularly before you press like or retweet or share, is this responsible for me to pass this along? Am I confident that this is something that will inform others and not misinform them? And I think, you know, the, the Misinformation and disinformation can't get the kind of virality it does without all of us playing a role in that. And I think in most cases, not necessarily knowingly. I don't think most people want to misinform their friends you know, or their family. And I don't think most people, frankly, are aware of how often they may well be doing that. So I think this is really critical. We need to see a sea change in attitudes and behaviors and how we consume and share information much like we've seen in areas like smoking and drunk driving and littering, uh, where people need to take personal responsibility and say, you know, false content stops with me, you know, or friends don't let friends share false content. You know, I'm going to be part of that solution and not let us continue to slide into an information dystopia, which is where I fear we're headed. Yeah. Are you, you chose to educate the receiver of news, the information. What does that, uh, what's your opinion on the state of the internet? Is, is it, uh, if, can't we fix it in the internet? 
So yes, when I when I started NLP, I thought of, I was moving from the supply side of journalism to the demand side, but you know, very quickly realized this was a much broader critical thinking skill that's essential for the preservation of a healthy democracy. So I don't I don't think I don't think there's any one solution. You know, what yeah. we're doing, of course, is we don't claim it is a panacea. It's a, it's an important step in the right direction. I don't think you can address this existential challenge without taking on the education piece on the demand side. Look, there are clearly answers on the supply side, and we've got a lot of focus on it right now in the United States in terms of obviously the social media companies uh, have long needed to step up and take more responsibility for the toxic content that's on their platforms and to actually enforce their own community standards about what they take down, what they tag, who they allow on their platforms in terms of hate speech and in terms of information that that undermines public health and undermines the public health of the country's democracy and and, and in fact civic life in the, throughout the world. So that's obviously an important piece, and I, I think in the United States we're going to see a serious debate, and we're already you're seeing it obviously in Europe and steps being taken in terms of public policy and regulation on the companies. You know, I think the news organizations also can do more. I think it's really critical you know, that they double down on, on uh, particularly at this time where there's so much mistrust uh, of, of news and, and other institutions, you know, government, science, uh, and when so much is at stake. Uh, what, 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 what can news organizations do? How can they win more trust? So I think that they need to, they need to double down on, on verification, on accuracy, uh, on context, uh, I think that uh, accountability is incredibly important. Uh, I read a column now, I recently wrote one about the fact that the willingness of, of reputable news organizations to acknowledge mistakes, not just factual errors, but when they get a, really a big stories wrong is critically important. It's one of the things that distinguishes them from other sources of information. I think transparency is critical about sources and methods, explaining how they know what they know, how they got there and what they don't know or don't yeah. know yet. Uh, and telling people, uh, giving people a better sense of what they do and how they do it and why, which was one of the major reasons I started NLP. I felt that that uh, that we as an as a as an industry did not do a good job in explaining that to people, and it left us vulnerable to attacks from all corners and to self-inflicted wounds. I think one of the things we've seen with NLP is that when you when when students and people in general get a better understanding of what it takes to get a story on, on a homepage or on a, on a broadcast, uh, the kinds of verification, the kinds of vetting, the layers, the standards, the accountability that distinguish it from so much else that is out there, I think that is a key way to, to restore trust. Uh, the other big challenge that, that we, is that, that, that trust is bifurcated in terms of the news media. Uh, you know, we've seen in polls that people tend to see news through prisms of red and blue and to trust only those sources they're likely to agree with, or only to go to those sources. I think that's a major problem in terms of bridging this enormous partisan and, and tribal divide that we're seeing play out in the U.S. now, um, you know, that is so deeply, bitterly divided the country. Yeah. And for, for transparency in news, for example, one of the things we're fighting for is revisions in news. So it doesn't solve everything you're saying here, but... Um, if you see on, on the website, last edited three hours ago, you could say, wow, that's transparent. But you can also say, what was there three hours ago that I can't see anymore? Is that part of the things you find important? Yes. You know, I think many news organizations have a policy 
that if they, uh, particularly if, if they, it's one thing if they update, but particularly if they make an error that they need to revise, that they acknowledge that as a correction. They simply not make the change, yeah. uh, make that clear. I mean, one of the problems, of course, is that we live in such a, you know, uh, uh, a hyper-connected time that things move so rapidly and move out on social media. And it's just so difficult to, to put the, the, the horse back in the barn when, when, when mistakes are made and then they, they spread and get amplified so readily. Uh, so again, it makes it all the more, the stakes are even higher to, to get things right in the first place and then, and then to correct them transparently when they happen. I mean, one thing I want to say, we'll go back to our initial conversation about fake news. Um, you know, reporters make mistakes for all kinds of reasons. Uh, you know, the rush of deadlines, competitive pressure, uh, human error, uh, take, truth takes time to emerge, sources mislead or even lie. But credible outlets and journalists don't make things up. They don't knowingly create things. And if they do, there are serious consequences, or at least there should be for them. Yeah. And I think that's just an important point that that distinction needs to continuously be underscored for the public to rebuild trust and to understand why uh, credible news, verifiable news is so different from so much else that is out there on the web and, and in the wider world. What do you expect the problem of um, misinformation How will it evolve over the coming years? And will it get worse or soon better? So I, you know, I, yes and no. I mean, I, <laughs> I think that um, there's certainly a lot of concern uh, that, I mean, these echo chambers uh, maybe are getting, are getting even more entrenched, uh, you know, and the country, even the U.S. in particular, more divided based on, the news and information that people are consuming and believing. Uh, I think also the technology, uh, you know, we're seeing, you know, cheap fakes and deep fakes emerge and, and, the, and the ability to create uh, these kind of very convincing videos is I think gonna, is gonna be more widely held. Uh, I, frankly, I think I, I was relieved that we didn't see more of that in the, in the tail end of the US election. Uh, that was a concern I had. Um, so on the flip side, I think there's much greater awareness in many circles about the importance of this challenge. There's more discussion. We saw after the 2016 election, um, you know, I felt like we went from being something of a voice in the wilderness to an answer to a prayer. Um, you know, we saw from, heard from educators, saw from more funders, you know, saying this is so important. This is, this is the most important thing we could be doing now. Uh, we, we certainly got more media coverage and that has continued over the four years. Take that as a hopeful sign. And then of course the technology itself, I mean, is also evolving in ways to uh, meet the challenge and, and respond to some of these problems. So I, I think that's potentially hopeful. And I think, you know, we're, we're making headway in what we're doing Um, we're seeing, you know, in the U.S., there are a dozen or more states that have either adopted or considering adopting st state standards for, for teaching this critical thinking skill, whether they call it civics or media literacy. Um, that's a hopeful sign because that would actually require teachers to be teaching this. I think we need to get to a point where we're all 50 states uh, because we do have a, uh, uh, you know, a, we don't have a unified education system. Um, so hopefully we'll get to a point where it is required as an essential 
life skill in, in, in this information age. So that's an amazing advice to policymakers all around the world to make it part of the education as base. Uh, and yes, I don't. I think that if we don't teach this to the next generation, we are we are denying them the ability to be full and effective participants in the civic life of their communities and their countries. It's not only a survival skill and and that advantages those who are able to discern credible information today, but it's an essential skill for them to participate um, in, in, in civic life. It's the best bottom-up approach, education. It's the best education, best, best start for fixing this problem. Yes. I, I think, so, I think it's, again, it's not, as I said, it's not a panacea. There are other ways we need to tackle this, but it, it's, it has to be part of the solution. And what would, in short, your advice be to policymakers? It's education. What will be the, uh, what must be done on the uh, social media and search engine site? Well, you know, I think that uh, there needs to, there need to be tools in place to to get companies to enforce their community standards and to enforce them consistently, and not just to enforce them at different points. You know, before an election, you know, as Facebook did in terms of elevating credible news and then, then, then taking that down after the election or not enforcing it in terms of certain individuals, no matter how uh, powerful they may be. Um, and we're seeing that again belatedly now. Um, and so I, I think that there, it's time. I mean, these, these companies uh, are so powerful um, and uh, for a long time really were not responsible. Uh, so I think it's time to take a, a serious look, but to do it mindfully, um, not to do it in a partisan way, uh, not to overreach uh, because they play an incredible, incredibly important role uh, in terms of um, actually democratizing the flow of information, giving people a, a franchise and in terms of free speech. Um, so I think that's obviously one piece. Uh, Education is another piece. And then I come back to um, the individual sense of individual responsibility that, that it, it is on all of us um, to play a role here in, in challenging what, what is, um, you know, the greatest threat really, I think, to democracy today. And the internet in 2030, what will it be? What will be the state? You know, I think that's very much, we're, I, I think we're, we're kind of an inflection point and that's very much up for grabs. Um, I, I, You know, I, when I, people sometimes ask me when I, about when I started NLP way back in 2008, uh, we were living in a very different information ecosystem at the time. And they asked me if like I foresaw how big a challenge this would become. And, and of course, nobody did or could have at that. I mean, I knew that this was going to be a growing problem and that, uh, that education could be part of a solution to it. So I wouldn't deign to say what things will look like a decade from now either. On behalf of planet Earth, thanks for all you do for educating the world on uh, this very, very, very important issue. Thank you, Sebastian. It's a pleasure to be with you. And uh, yeah, where can people find more information about uh, the important work you do? So they can, they can learn about us at newslit.org. Uh, they can also learn if they want to learn about our virtual classroom is called Checkology, which is used as being used in all 50 states and in, in dozens, scores of countries around the world. So they can learn more about that at checkology.org. Uh, we also have a mobile app called Informable, 
which is a game that uh, both assesses and teaches news literacy skills. And that can be found at, at uh, the Apple Play Store or Google Play or at Apple Store. Um, and then we have a podcast called Is That a Fact that people can listen to as well. Uh, and if people are interested you know, in, in our resources uh, or getting on our, our, oh, one other thing I'll add, we have a newsletter called The Sift for Educators, which takes that week's viral rumors, conspiracy theories and hoaxes and turns them into timely lessons and a version for the general public called Get Smart About News, which we'd be happy to register people for if they're interested. Alan Miller, newslit.org. Let's build the trusted web together. Yeah, thanks so much for being on the show. It was a pleasure. And uh, yeah, looking forward to see where you take it in the coming decade. Thanks very much, Sebastian. Fighting misinformation through education. It's such powerful. Thanks again to Alan Miller. And lastly, I'd love to invite you to go to the trustedweb.org slash podcast there you will find our report on the state of misinformation because we surveyed thousands of participants across the globe to better understand the impact misinformation has on their lives and how they view the problem there are incredible findings that surprise us all and furthermore you'll find uh, the other episodes and education and use cases for building a trusted web it's all available there and of course for free thetrustedweb.org slash podcast. Thanks for listening and therefore being part of the Trusted Web journey. And let's build the Trusted Web together. Mm -hmm.